Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. While you're returning, why don't we stand together? I believe we're ready to hear the word of the Lord today. Praise God. I asked Brother East to come and minister to us this week. And uh, I'm always concerned about our congregation. I want them to hear not only from me, but from other men of God, get a different perspective. And Brother East has always sought God for that. Um, But I didn't want him to preach to me like he did on Wednesday night in front of you. It was a little embarrassing that he walked all over my toes and slapped me around a little bit and then gave me a big old hug and told me he loved me. How many of you enjoyed Wednesday night? Was that awesome or what? Man. And now today, I I know God's laid some special things on his heart and he will do a great job of ministering. But before he comes to this pulpit, I'm going to embarrass him. It's not my intention to embarrass him. But he would never tell you. (laughs) He would never, I didn't hear that and I guess I shouldn't have. (laughs) He would never tell you. But he has a financial need. And there's an opportunity for us today to give in a love offering. That's why these baskets are up here at the conclusion of this service when you come to this altar to pray. Would you prayerfully consider what you would do to bless the man of God, his need, and his ministry? Is that enough said? All right. Now you're ready to hear the word of the Lord? Brother East, come and take your liberty. God bless you. I don't like that kind of stuff. In the book of Philippians, chapter number three, Philippians chapter number three, this is an interesting comment made by the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter. And and I would like for you this morning, when you read your Bible, and, and you look at it and we say Colossians or Ephesians or whatever it may be. We always think of it, you know, that this is the way he wrote it. That he wrote it in, with names of books and chapters and verses and lines. And he did not. It, it, it didn't happen like that. He wrote letters. These are, these are actually every, every page here. This is a letter that he wrote. And sometimes we miss the message because we put a number out beside it. And we will read, and we'll read something that says verse 20. And then all we focus on is verse 20. I'm going to throw a little tidbit out for you. Don't ever read one verse. Read the verses before and the verses after. Because what you're reading is a letter that was written. And there may be something in the middle or the beginning of that letter that explains what happened way down the page. 
These 66 books that we have in the Bible, the Bible said holy men of God were inspired to write everything we have here. There is no book like this book in all the earth, none. In John, writing, John wrote in the very last chapter of his writings, the last chapter, last verse, he said, I suppose that if it were possible, I suppose, sounds like a Wisconsin statement. I suppose that if it were possible, that if everything that Jesus said and did were put into books, the world itself could not contain all the books. But we don't, we don't have all those books. So Jesus Christ condensed everything that we would need down to one book. And in this book are the answers to life and death. This book not only tells you how to live, it tells you how to die. It not only tells you what to expect while you're living, it tells you what to expect after you're gone. And it gives you the choices and everything is a choice. Everything is a choice. Everything is a choice. You chose to be here. You'll choose when you leave. You can decide whether you want to pray. You can decide whether you don't want. You have a choice to do whatever you want. So please bear in mind that when you're reading God's word, you can never take one verse and build a foundation on it. You have to read the preceding and the scriptures thereafter. You have to put it all together so that it can be in context. In chapter number three and verse number 20, and I, I want to read those two verses. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, those are the two scriptures I wanted to read, and he put those up there. But I want you to go to verse chapter 4 now, and verse 21. See, if we were reading it like this, I have to move to a whole new chapter. To us, a whole new chapter means we go into a whole different discussion. That's not true in the Bible. Sometimes the very next verse is just where the, the interpreters, the translators, when they were doing it, King James, they decided to move this to a chapter. They decided where those chapters went. But in the very next verse, he tells you after saying that to you, that, that he's going to draw everything and subdue all things unto himself and telling you that our conversation, one, one translation said that our citizenship is in heaven. We're not citizens here. That's in the Bible. In fact, the Bible said we're actually pilgrims that are just passing through here. This is not our home. In chapter 4, verse number 1, he said, verse number 1. So y'all are looking at 21. They didn't hear me. Now, 4 number 1. There we go. Thank you. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast. They, that's just a continuation of his letter. And he's talking about heaven. You can be seated. Heaven is a, 
a, a much talked about place. And it's, it's actually mentioned 276 times just in the New Testament. Everybody talks about going to heaven. Everybody says they want to go there. Everybody except the, a few atheists that don't really know what they want. And they say, I want to go to heaven when this is all over. And when we think of going to heaven, sometimes we really don't even know what we're talking about. A lot of people want to go to heaven, have no idea what it is. But heaven is, is usually regarded in various religions as the aboding place of God and the angels. And, and that's where the good after death are going to go. And it's traditionally it's depicted as a, as a place being above the sky, you know, out in another universe or somewhere. And we, we really don't know where it is. And the angels are there and the Lord Jesus Christ is there. Now, the greatest drawing card to all of that is that Jesus is there. And he said when he went away, he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. And, and the whole key to everything is that he is there. So I, I, I can say only for my own part, I don't care where heaven is. Doesn't matter. I care about who's there. Because where he's at, that's where I want to be. And the Bible says that, that this dwelling place of God that if we're fortunate enough to get there, and if I could, just, just for a moment, give you a description of it. And, and it's not something that, that you could really describe in, in just a few minutes up here. But it says there's a river there, and it, it's clear as crystal. And it flows from the throne of God and, and, and of the Lamb. And that Jesus is right there in the middle of the city. And on each side of the river, there's going to be a tree of life that, that yields 12 kinds of fruit of every, every month. The streets are pure gold, like transparent glass. The walls of the city will be adorned with every kind of jewel, emeralds and onyx and amethyst and topaz, etc. A lot of jewels. There won't be no need for the sun. There won't be a, a, a sun coming up and a sun going down. Won't be no moon. Won't be no need for any of that. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, the Lamb will be the light thereof. We won't need a temple. We won't need a building. We won't need any of that. Everything will be done in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of his light. Nobody's going to be sick. We're not going to have to pray for a little baby boy to have a bump removed off his ear. We're not going to have to look for our glasses so we can read what we're trying to preach. We're not going to have to do any of that. There won't be no cancer. I'm, I'm tired of cancer being a dictating force in our society. I'm tired of that. Cancer and diabetes and things of that nature have become billion, trillion dollar industries. People are making money off of it. It's exploited. Drugs that could cure it are withheld because the pharmaceutical company says that would infringe upon our business. That's the world that you live in. It's an evil, corrupt. It's not good like you think it is. People talk about, well, this is such a good. No, this is not a good country. How about those apples? It's not a good country. It used to be a good country. Now it's a bad country. Because evil men rule it. We take on a whole new nature under the leadership of the people that rule over us. The borrowers are servants to the lenders. The rich rule over the poor. America is down. She's fallen to her knees. She's fallen and she can't get up. 
But that has no effect on what will happen. That has no effect on our future. That does not dictate where we're going or what we are. No matter how bad the world comes or goes, it cannot dictate who you are. It cannot make you do anything. It cannot make you change into anything. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God himself made it, made it very clear. I'm going to dwell in my people and I'm going to give them direction and I'm going to give you their strength. The world doesn't dictate where we're going. The world itself has no idea. Only the people that are followers of this book and its teachings. If you don't believe this book, that's fine. It's choice. In America, it's a bigger choice than it is anywhere else. You can believe anything here. You can believe anything here. I mean, this is the only country in the world I know where you can marry a duck. Aren't we bright? So if our citizenship is in heaven, then truly we're just visitors here. We're guests. Do, do I believe in a rapture? Of course I do. The word rapture, as I stated in the Sunday school class this morning, and for those of you that were here, you're gonna to have to hear some things you've already heard. The rapture doesn't even appear in the Bible. The word rapture does not, that rapture word is a young word. It didn't even exist in the days of the apostles and the men that wrote this book. Rapture was just a term that was used because of the meaning. The word meant to be caught away. The catching up of the bride of Jesus Christ. Because the scripture speaks so much about the church being called up and caught up and, and called out of this world. And, and the dead in Christ are going to rise. We which are alive and remain. It's not going to hold us back. We're going to rise too. And so shall we ever be in the Lord. We're going to rise up to meet him in the air. Those things are actually going to take place. And so that's what the rapture is. I want to tell you where the rapture begins. The rapture begins with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where the rapture begins. Because until the shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary had been dripped down where it was supposed to, there couldn't even be a rapture. We didn't have any hope then. But once that blood came, it gave us hope. It gave us something to look forward to. It gave us a position with which we could stand on. The blood of Calvary was come to take away the sin of the world. It washed away everything in our past. It gave us a future and God wanted us to begin with the blood to prepare for the event that is to come. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood of Calvary. Thank God for the blood of Calvary. Without the blood, we have nothing. So he didn't, he didn't put us here and leave us in the dark. This wasn't a game for God that he moved little pawns around and he's sitting up there saying, let's see what they do now. That's, that's not what God did. God set a clear path. And he said, this is where it's going. This is how it's gonna end. Everything's in this book. Every problem you've got. It is a proven, you could even say it's a, stat, a, a, a that statisticians put that together. That if you don't believe in God at all, that if you take the principles of the Bible and build your business on those principles, just the principles, your business will succeed. Can't fail. It cannot fail. There, there's something about this book that's powerful. His word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts going in, cuts going out. It is a powerful, powerful instrument. And when we live under the blanket of its power, then things will work in our lives.
So this book was dedicated to us so that we could have some kind of an idea of what to expect. And it's done a good job. It's given us things to look for. Yes, they were talking about the coming of Christ even as far back as 150 years after, after the death of Jesus Christ. They were already waiting for him to come back. Those people were looking for him. And the Bible clearly states that he's coming back to people that have made themselves ready, people that are looking for his coming. I can tell you, we're a lot of people here are more concerned about the Packer game than they are the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, I'd rather know that my call in election has been sure than to be interested in the Packer game. I, I, I'm not telling you it's not a good thing and who's going to win or lose but I'm not interested in the Packer game to the point that I want it to distract me from the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ ask yourself a hypothetical question what if Jesus comes at 145 ah! there'll still be a Packer game <laughs> Gonna be a few of us ain't gonna watch it. You ever thought like that? You ever go to bed at night? Perhaps you've had an argument with your wife. Wife's had an argument with the husband. You go to bed, beat your pillow. Well, why do we always beat our pillow into position when we're mad? I never want to be a pillow. People cry on you, have fights with you, and they beat you when they're mad. Like they're getting it just right, like a dog circles it when he's going to lay on it. See, we're all like dogs. And what, what if Jesus came right after you went to sleep trying to wipe out that fight in your mind? What if Jesus came? I mean, you've got to be realistic. One of these days, it's going to happen. It's, it's an event where, where we claim we believe that, but do we really believe that? Do you ever, in your own mind, do you, do you think about it? Well, God, what if, what if it was today? People are praying for the Packers to win. They're praying for the Packers to win. They don't pray about anything else. See, we're human beings. And, and don't, don't get offended. The Cowboys prayed to win too. They just didn't have as much faith as the Packers. I, that, that's all I can tell you. All of this stuff... And, and yet so many people in the sports world, they claim they, they're, they're Christian examples. Oh, folks, come on, please don't buy into that program. Christian examples are not portrayed in Hollywood and in the sports world. Christian, Christian examples will be found at the altar. Christian examples are found in Sunday school. Christian examples are found in church meetings. Christian examples are found praying in their bedrooms. Christian examples are found doing what's right in their everyday life. That's where Christian examples are found. The book is so full of things that we were to look for. For instance, just, just a couple, just a few. Jesus said, as the lightning comes from the east to the west. He said, that's what it's going to be like when I come. You ever seen how fast a lightning can do? They, they have trouble. They have to have them special high power. Used to couldn't film it because they didn't have any technology that could show lightning. It was so fast. Now they have technology that can capture a lightning bolt. It comes so quickly. No man knows the day nor the hour. I told the Sunday school class this morning that today I was going to make an announcement. I told them I was going to tell them when Jesus is coming. So that's for another moment. So 
If you get sleepy, remember that one time that you nod off. (laughs) As it was in the days of Noah. Now, if you went and watched that movie, don't put anything on that. That's the biggest bunch of junk to ever come out of Hollywood. Lie, lied on Noah. Change the whole story up. That's awful. Don't let Hollywood project your path to heaven. Don't get caught up in that business. Don't go home and watch Left Behind and say, well, I know what we're going to do now. If I don't make it in that first one, we'll all congregate at Starbucks because he's going to get us out sooner or later. Son, I don't want to travel in your circles. Get rid of all of that out of your mind. When Jesus comes, that's it. And for those of you that think, well, you know, I'll start preparing now because I need to, I don't believe the rapture is going to take place this week. If you walk outside today and slip on the ice and tumble and hit your head and you die in the parking lot, your rapture took place right there. So you don't have to worry about nothing after that. And there's no fixing anything you left undone. See how quick this thing can happen in the moment in a twinkling of the eye. The twinkling, just blink your eyes. That's how quick it can happen. As a thief in the night, that's how fast it takes place. Life can change. Go online, those of you that use computers, and look up what can happen in a second. And watch some of the, the accidents that have been recorded over time to where if, if someone had been at the red light and waited one more second to take off in an intersection, they would be alive today. One second. That's how quickly life can change. One second. We, we know now that Israel's a nation. That was one of the signs from the Bible. The Bible talked about a beautiful garden. And you, you, if you've ever been to the Middle East, you think, my God, nothing could grow in that God-forsaken place. And it is. I'm, I'm sorry, it is a God-forsaken place. But if you go down where the Dead Sea and all of that stuff was, you guys were just there. Did you see that beautiful garden? They got stuff growing out there on that, on that old desert land. They, they have come along and these, these, these Israelis, Jewish people, they have taken ground that was terrible and turned it into a beautiful garden. Crops are growing. Flowers are blooming. Just a place that nobody even wanted to be 50 years ago. And these people came there back in the 40s and and took over that land that was wasted, dead, no good for nothing. And they've turned it now into a beautiful place. The Bible said these things would happen. Technology. The technology now, and rest assured, there's a lot of technology. There's a lot of technology. A lot of you got technology here in here with you. I don't take my cell phone into the church. I realized one day I wasn't that important. You know, they say, well, what if they need to call you and tell you that someone in the family has died? They're going to still be dead when I find out. These phones can do anything. You can take pictures of yourself. You can change photographs. You can now, they they offer... uh, technology in your cell phone that you can hook it up to your home got cameras in your home you can turn your lights on and off in the house turn the heat on and off and you can be over in London you can watch who's walking around in your house with your cell phone isn't that amazing that's technology 
Some of the technology that we're gasping at right now was they were using it 20 years ago, the government was. We talk about the mark of the beast and you wonder how could that happen and, and what's it gonna be like and everybody's pondering and nobody really knows, but we've all got these ideas of what the mark of the beast, what it's gonna be and is it gonna be before the rapture or after the rapture? Rapture, you got people that are pre-trib, post-trib and then you got the mid-trib. People are interested in what, what, what section are you in? What division of this are you in? Are you pre-trib, pre-trib, are you mid-trib or are you post-trib? Post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, pre-tribulation. And so it's an argument. We've been arguing about this as long as I can remember. I one day decided not to argue no more. I decided it didn't matter what part of the tribulation that, that I put myself, I need to be ready to meet God right now. I need to get my life in order right now. I don't even know if we're gonna be back next week. So I had to get myself ready now. And, and I, I just choose not to be into that argument. And I actually had a preacher jumped on me one day. I mean, literally, great big fella. And I'd never met him before in my life. And they brought him in. There was a crowd of people, a bunch of people in there. And introduced him. I said, how are you doing? Shook hands with him. And he immediately attacked me over post-tribulation beliefs. And I didn't, he didn't know if I, where I was in the tribulation. He didn't know what I believed. He didn't even know me. And he attacked me, said that, that, there is no pre-tribulation that the, the, the rapture of the church is not going to take place until after, until after the tribulation. And he, he, he beat me up pretty good. Embarrassed me in front of all these people. A lot worse than what you did a while ago. And so when he got done with his dissertation, I stood up because I was in my own home. My own, we had an office there and I was in my own place. He did this at my own home. I had a home field advantage. He took it away from me. And I stood up and I walked around. I got him by the arm and I said, I've really enjoyed meeting you. That was the first words I had. I said, so when you leave, and that's what you're doing right now. And I caught his arm and started walking toward the door. I said, when you leave, I said, and you walk to the end of the driveway, if a bus runs over you, your rapture took place then. Wherever you were at in the tribulation when you came, you're out of it now, son. You need to get your act together now. This is not something you should say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start, I got a long-term goal. I've got a long-term plan. You better get a short-term plan because you don't have any clue as to when you're gonna exit. Make an, you better have an exit strategy in place. I can tell you that point. You can't have a good business if you ain't got an exit strategy. Ask anybody that knows anything about business. You better be sure you got an exit strategy in place right now, right today because you have no earthly idea what tomorrow holds for you. None. None. And the Mark of the Beast technology has been around for well over 25 years. The chips they can put in under your skin. They can put a chip under there that would hold all of the Britannica Encyclopedia from the beginning of their, from their inception, hold it all in there 10 times in that one little, little, little kernel or grain that's less than the size of a piece of rice. They first manufactured that right where I live. The Motorola plant, I drove by it every day going to church, still do. And right there's where they developed that little chip. I've even got a dog at home, Scott, one of them. Yeah, I got him, his name's Rascal. And his name is Rascal because he is a rascal. 
And he's been lost four or five different times. That was what was wrong with me. He had a problem running off. I rescued him from, from the SPCA and he'd run off. And man, he had that chip in him. I'd get a call a day or so later. Somebody would say, do you own this dog? I'd say, yeah. I said, well, I called this, this, uh, this, this hotline here and, and they located the dog and, and I want you to come and get him. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a good safety factor? And now they show commercials on television, show somebody losing their child in the park. Oh, but thank God the alarm's going off. I had him tagged. Ah, and you know, and it protects that precious bank account. God knows you don't want nobody to get your credit cards or to steal your identity. Son, when the thieves look at my identity, they say, ooh, we don't want that one. So that technology is there. It's already been tried on human beings. The man down in Florida that was one of the men that discovered it, he's got it in him right now. It works. They can read where he's at. They can look at everything about him. Anything that changes, they can see it right there on the computer screen. And they say we're doing that for safety and security. Now can you get a little bit better vision of the mark of the beast? Which says you shouldn't, you don't want that mark. That's what the Bible said. It said no man could buy or sell save he that had the mark. So if you didn't have this mark and it represents a number and nobody's been able to calculate what all that is just yet, but we know there is a mark that's going to come that everybody is going to be subject to the mark if you're not gone in the first resurrection. Well, that's part of the argument because some folks say, well, that's going to happen after the church is gone. Well, I will tell you that I am of that persuasion and I want to tell you why, and then you can do what you choose with it. It's very simple. Because all of the bowls, all of the seals, all of these different things in the book of Revelation that typify the most horrible things I could ever imagine. Hailstones that weigh 114 pounds, sores that won't heal, and, and terrible, terrible things. That is the wrath of God being poured out on this world. And the Bible clearly says, we, the church of Jesus Christ, are not appointed to the wrath of God. So I cannot believe that God would pour out those horrible atrocities upon his bride. So before it gets to that point, I am of the persuasion that the bride of Christ will suddenly be caught away. It'll come in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it will come and we're not gonna be expecting it. We're just gonna go. Two will be in the bed sleeping. One will be taken one will be left. Two will be in the field working. One's gonna be taken. One's gonna be left. Two will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken. One will be left. Giving us examples of what to expect. Most people don't like to talk about that stuff. I had one lady told me, said, if you preach on Revelation, I'm not coming to that church. I wrote a song many years ago entitled The Rapture. Long time ago, 30, over 30 years ago, 35 years and we recorded it. You'll be coming here someday. You'll be coming here to pray. But there won't be no one here to pray with you. For the rapture has taken place. Now eternity you face. The pastor's gone. The saints are gone. It's cold in here. I felt that so strong when we were writing that song how powerful those words were, that that event would take place and there will be some unhappy people 
very unhappy when they realize this has come and gone. And that's where a lot of these movies kick in to give you hope after that. You can't put stock in what Hollywood says. Hollywood creates lies. They are a diversion. And there are preachers today that claim to be preachers of the gospel. And their, their whole goal in life is to divert you from the truth, to keep you from knowing the truth. I have come here to Oconomowoc, Wisconsin to declare unto you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every book, every chapter in the book is true. Every word that God ever gave us, every promise, it's divine, it's real, and it will come to pass just like he said it would. So don't be deceived. People say, well, another thing that's come up of late, they say, well, you know, I read in Revelation where it says that the, the Euphrates River is going to be dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And that hasn't happened. That's what people say. Because we only watch CNN or, or even Fox is not talking about that. But can I tell you that when they built the Ataturk Dam over 20 years ago, this massive dam in Turkey, upstate at the Euphrates River, they can cut off the flow of that river and turn it into dry ground overnight. Overnight. And they have done it. They're doing it now. I'll just point something out to you. Who was it? What president of what country stood up this week to defend the terrorists? Ah, I think it was the president of Turkey. He controls the water. Mid Middle East, the oil in the Middle East is not the commodity. It's water. They don't have water. Iran, Syria, Iraq, all of those countries over, they don't have water. They get their water from the Euphrates. Now you got in the hands of people that support terrorists. You have someone that controls the water flow. The Ataturk Dam, A-T-A-T-U-R-K, can stop the water flow of the Euphrates. Wow. Did you know that there is a treaty between Iran, which is, I mean, it's Persia. We're talking about Persia here. There is a treaty between the Russians and the Iranians. They just renewed it a while back, giving Russia complete access to everything in the Middle East. All these things are there that lead you to believe in the rapture. But all of that is nothing more than babbling nonsense. If you're not willing to turn your heart over to God and say, God, here I am, lock, stock, and barrel. This is all about commitment. This is all about the blood of Calvary being applied to your life. If you've not been born again, you can't even inherit or see the kingdom of God. So it boils down to the new birth. You've got to be born again. Well, I don't believe that like you believe it. It doesn't matter how you believe it. If you've not been born of the water and of the spirit, the Bible said you cannot see the kingdom of God. How clear is that? Please don't tell me that's just my idea. Or it's how you interpret it. A child could understand that. That's why the scripture said that he would make this so simple. A wayfaring man, though a fool, need not err therein. A wayfaring man, though a fool, need not err therein. Ladies and gentlemen, the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's imminent. We've got to get ready for that. But there are going to be a lot of things that are going to transpire before that happens and things that are going to try to distract us and get us away from God. Some of these things that are happened, that are happening right now, 
It's happening to some of you. It started out with little things and it's getting bigger and bigger. Understand, please, the end will come. There has to be an end sometime. Quit thinking we're gonna live forever. We're not. Brother, some of us thought we were, you know, well, it won't happen in my lifetime. I don't, I don't know that I believe that. I'm not gonna put that in a comfort zone. Well, I can, I can kind of cruise. <laughs> my little grandson, one of my little, I've got 25 great grandkids and, and grandkids. One of them went to his mother just recently. He said, mommy said, Papa, he don't do anything but pray and read that Bible. It reminded me of a story. I had a little kid went up and said, mom, Papa, grandpa don't do nothing but pray and read the Bible. What's he doing? She said, he's cramming for finals. I think when you get older, you start to realize when you're young, like some of these, these old boys over here, they're, they're buff. You know, they think there's some get out there on that basketball court and making all them moves. And that's what I'm talking about, you know, and doing all that stuff. They don't realize just how fragile they really are. We don't understand just how quick we can be broken. We don't understand just how quick everything can change. But I'm gonna tell you, big old buff boys, you better take all that muscle and all that pride and put it in a bucket and shake it up and say, God, I want some humility to come out of this so that I can walk softly and humbly in the presence of God. Our church, the one out of this book is consumed with pride. Pride is the greatest defender of the fool. You think the gamblers are in Las Vegas? No. Atlantic City? Nah. They're gamblers all right, but they're petty gamblers. The big gamblers are in church today. I got some knowledge of all that. I used to play poker with world champion pokers, poker players way back in the day. In the day, as folks like to say. Had a place in Las Vegas. And I understood gambling. I understood the mindset. I've sat in those big games where there would be thousands of dollars in the pot. People gathered around the table, 200, $300,000 may be at stake, rolling those dice. Yeah, I know how to roll them. And don't look at me as if, oh, ain't no worse than what some of you did. See, there's no, there's no degree of sin. There's no degree. Sin is the absence of good to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it to him. It's sin. There's no big sinners and little sinners. No big liars and little liars. You're either a liar or you aren't. And all liars, all liars, all liars, if they're all going there, how many aren't? None. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. So I understand the gambling concept. You're betting. And, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to even say this because I'll probably, get, I'll probably get scrutinized. But if you've ever played in a dice game, and that's not what they call it, but I'm not going to call it what they call it. If you've ever played in a dice game, everybody's betting that this guy's either going to make his number or not make his number. It's called betting on the come. You're betting on something that has not happened and you're betting how it's gonna turn out. 
Son, tell me this ain't good. You're betting on something that's going to happen, an event that has not yet happened. And when he gets ready to roll them dice, the tents, I, I mean, I'm, I'm serious, folks. I've been in these places. I, I truly, I have a good understanding of it. When there's multimillionaires gathered around this table, a lot of money, and that guy's getting ready to throw those dice. And everybody, they're chanting and they're, yeah, ooh, 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 and they're calling out the number. They're going to, I mean, they're excited about it. And there's going to be some winners and there's going to be some losers. We think the gamblers are in Las Vegas. No, the gamblers are here because some of you today, you're rolling the dice. You're getting ready to toss them and you're saying, well, I'm about to bet on the come. I'm going to see if this old boy knows what he's talking about or not. I'm going to bet he don't know what he's talking about. I'm going to throw these dice and I'm going to bet that he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm telling you ahead of time, I can predict your future you're going to lose. I do know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to gamble with my soul. I'm not going to put my, 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 my experience with Jesus Christ in a bucket and shake it up with a bunch of dice. And you better not either. Today's a day of decision. It's a day of commitment. It's a time when everybody says, God, I know I, I say this so much. I think sometimes people get tired of hearing me because I come and I tell them, you know, this is about commitment. Every service is a commitment. Every service is a chance for you, for you to renew your commitment. That's why that scripture that we talk about in Sunday school, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's why you come together in the house of God. It's so you can encourage one another, lift one another up and help everybody to make the right decisions. Everybody get on the same page. You going to heaven? Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. We're going to heaven when we all get to heaven. We love to sing those songs. Heaven will be, yes, it will be my resting place. Will it? I told a fellow a while back, I said, son, the route you've chosen to take when you get ready to leave, don't take no warm clothes. You won't need them. People think that if you live a commendable life, or at least you're trying to avoid extreme sins, that that's all you need to do. No, no, that's not it. Our citizenship is in heaven. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Heaven will be my resting place, God. I'm not interested in popularity down here. I don't care what I've got down here, God. I don't care if I'm poor. I don't care where I live or what I drive. I don't care what I have to eat, God. You said you'd sustain me. And if you, if you intend to push me to the limit, then push me, God. Because when I leave here, my 70 or 80 years here don't amount to a hill of beans in eternity. I want to make sure that my eternal God call is intact. I want to make sure everything is all right. Get your family together. Start working on your children. Work on your wife. Work on your husband. Get things going like it's supposed to. You're not overrun with time. In fact, we're running out of time. And we're running out of time right now. I don't want to be lost. Jesus came so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. What do I need to do, God, to be sure that I am part of this? What does it mean to believe in God? What does it mean to actually say, I got it right? How do I believe in God? Well, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Great scripture. We wasted, in fact, if you watch the game today, someone will have a banner strung somewhere in the stadium. John 3, 16. We love to talk about that scripture. Remember what I told you at the beginning? See how good I am at remembering what I said? Remember what I told you at the beginning about read the whole letter? When John was writing his book and he wrote that about Jesus, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One man told me, he said, I'm just waiting on God to send me out into the harvest. I said, do you live near here? He said, yes, I do. He's a preacher. He said, yes, I do. I said, in a subdivision like this, houses all around? He said, yeah, right down the road. I said, son, you're in the harvest every time you walk out your front door. You're waiting on the harvest. You ever been to Walmart? You're in the harvest. When you go to work tomorrow, some of you men, you ladies, you're in the harvest. And it's your fruit that's going to touch their lives. So what's hanging on your tree? Are they going to hear a joke-telling ungodly prankster who goes to church on Sunday for a show? Or are they going to meet somebody tomorrow morning at work that's a genuine born-again Christian that's got his life in order, that's bearing the fruit of the Spirit and has, has displayed the love of God for everybody and their brother to see? So John, this same writer, you with me? What's your name? Rebecca. Good name. Good name. Mother of a couple of pretty wild kids. And Rebecca, the same writer, told us how to believe just four chapters later, four, four little short chapters later, he tells you, he defines what he said in John 3. But so many people miss that because they don't get past John 3. But in John 7, four chapters, you better put that in your notes, just four chapters later, he defines what he was saying. And he says, what he heard, he's, he's, he's writing about what Jesus did because Jesus stood up on the great day of the feast. Jesus stood up and, and John quotes him and he says, he that believes on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. This spoke he of the spirit. They that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Do you understand that John 3.16 is not a simple acceptance? I joined the church today. Did you now? No. You joined a congregation. You don't join the church. You are born into the church. You got to have a birth. And the reason you have to have a birth in the church is because you got to have a birth right. And if you don't have a birth right, you can't get the promise. We're down in, thank you, I believe that. We're down into the garlic now. You got to have a birth right to get to the promise. So how do I get the birthright? That's why Jesus came to Calvary so that he could wipe out all that law and give you a birthright. He, he could give you a right to the promise. And once you get that promise in your life, then it's an everyday affair. It's an every moment of affair that you live for him every day of your life. 24, seven, 365 days a year. You are a Christian. 
Let me repeat myself. Are you a Christian? If I load you in my car and take you to Des Moines and drop you off there, are you a Christian? If I load you up in the car and take you down to a bar and drop you off where they're carousing, fighting, screaming, cussing and hollering and fighting and carrying on, are you a Christian? If I put you in a situation to where everything you, you, you have is gone, there's nothing left but you and Liz and, and I mean you're poor, your cars are gone, home's gone, I don't want that to happen, I'm just saying, if I put you in that situation, are you still a Christian? Now ask yourself, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? So if you are, then what you're saying is, I'm a Christian. So location, circumstance, and people do not dictate my Christianity. I am a Christian regardless of who's present. I'm a Christian regardless of what's going on in the world. I'm a Christian whether I got money or don't have money. I'm a Christian whether I got a good husband or a bad husband. Is he a good one? Huh? He's a keeper. That doesn't affect your Christianity. You are the only one that can affect your Christianity. Nobody can take it away from you. The world didn't give it to you. The world can't take it away. This is a spiritual battle that you're involved in. You can't take carnal weapons and fight a spiritual battle. You've got to have spiritual weapons in your life. You've got to have the Spirit of God in your life to make your, to make your relationship work. Quit blaming God for something he didn't do. The 10 brothers of Joseph, after they throwed him in a hole, sold him to the Egyptians. Sold him to the Ishmaelites and then he wound up in the, the Egyptians. Now, now, 20, 22 years later, they're standing in his presence. He's over all of Egypt. They don't even know who he is. They're bowed down just like the dream said they would be. Just like the dream Joseph had 25 years before that. They're bowed down at his feet. The Bible said that would happen. They don't know who he is. And the first words out of their mouth to Joseph is, we are honest men. We are honest men. When they get back, I like her. I, taste it. I get lots of amens and hallelujah and glory to God, but nobody ever says not. You keep that up, I'll get you a microphone. When they get back home to their father, tell me your name. Stacy. Stacy. When they get back home to their dad, Stacy, they tell him what's happened. They left their brother for ransom. They got to come back and get Benjamin. They bought food. They opened their bags of food. They're telling their dad, they're saying, we told them we were honest men. Yeah, honest men. Sold their brother into slavery. For 22 years, let their daddy believe he was dead, killed by a wild animal. The coat of many colors that, that, that they hated because Joseph got it from his daddy and it was this gift. They, they despised that coat of many colors. That wound up getting him thrown in that pit. Then when he got down there to Egypt, got to Potiphar's house, his robe got him in trouble. And that woman who wanted him to come in there and have a relationship with her and he wouldn't do it, she grabbed his robe, kept it and used that robe as evidence to get him thrown in prison. He needs to start looking at his wardrobe. Maybe some of you need to look at your wardrobe. Every time I see one of these young boys, 16, 17 years, and the older ones are worse, come walking in. They got them little skinny jeans on. Son, boy, I need a Zantac when I see that. And I don't even take Zantac. Why would a boy want to look like a girl? Can you explain that to me, Stacy? 
If your husband came in and had lipstick on and, and had on parallel skinny jeans, would you like that? A lot of women like that nowadays. I think something's wrong with them. Yeah, be, <laughs> be Joseph sends them home and he puts his money, their money back in their sack so that when they get home, they will think that they have stolen that grain. And they're talking to daddy about it. When they see that money, they ask this question. I'm gonna finish up on this question right now. They ask a question. What has God done to us? They've seen that money and they're gonna be accused of stealing. Huh? What has God done to us? No, that's not the proper question. What have you done to yourself? You created this mess. You're the one that caused him to be down there. You better be looking for the mercy of God instead of trying to find a way to, to, to make yourself righteous. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to pay, die to get there. Would you stand with me? I told you I was going to tell you when he's coming. So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you when he's coming. There was a little, little kid. We were, when my brother and I both back 45 years ago or so, we were in the insurance business together and we used to go into poor part of town, sell substandard insurance. That's what it was called because these people couldn't qualify for what the other people on the other side of the tracks qualified for. And we would go into that area of town and we would sell insurance to these people. And I, I started my ministry doing that. That's what got me going. I, I, I didn't preach to anything but the poor and the forsaken. Churches I went to were just, I mean, stone cold broke. But they loved to hear me preach. And the other churches, the bigger churches, they wouldn't give me the time of the day. And so one day we come up on this little boy about 10 years old. And my brother looked at him and both of us, we were on fire, man. We'd just gotten into the church and, and, and God was changing our lives. And my brother looked at the little boy and he says, you want to go to heaven? The little boy said, uh-uh. You know, that, my brother said, what? He said, uh-uh. He said, you don't want to go to heaven when you die? He said, oh, when I die, yeah, I thought you meant now. <laughs> so some of you, I think that question would be appropriate. In fact, it would be appropriate for everyone in this building, including me. I need to be right with God and I need to ask myself if Jesus came before the Packer game would I be ready to meet him actually sincerely realistically just ask yourself the question you don't have to act on it would I be ready can I look back at my own life and say well what I've done is enough to get me through or in reality, should you look and say, God, maybe I got some open doors here. Maybe, maybe I got some stuff going on that I shouldn't have going on. Maybe, maybe God, I'm not quite ready. 
And whereas some people are praying, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, maybe some of us had rather pray, God, hold off. Hold off, God. I'm going to give you some good news and some bad news. The good news is, is I think some of us probably do need to pray that prayer today. God, could you just wait? Give me just a little time. But I'm going to tell you this. You better redeem the time. You better redeem the time. Because the day of the Lord is at hand. And while you're building, while you're building your own personal life up, you're allowing your life with God to go down. Jacob's my boy, my responsibility. I brought him here. He's my adopted son. And I've beat him up for the last, I don't know how many years I've been so hard on him. If he's lost, it's because he's stupid. And I'm serious when I say that. Because I've, I've put before him an open door. And he knows what that door is. If he's successful, then I'm happy. If he's not successful, I'm terribly sad. Because I gave him every opportunity. And I want him to do what's right. I don't want anybody that I have loved and worked with to be lost. I don't want any of you to be lost. And I think the worst thing that could happen, and you can only imagine this, because it'll never happen, is to go to heaven. And when you get there, start looking for the one you love the most. And they're not there. That son you invested in, that daughter you invested in, and they're not there. Is there anything more important than that? Really, is there anything more important than that? Is that home, that car, that business, all of the stuff in life, is any of that more important than knowing that the hand of God is on your relationship? Forget yesterday, life begins right now. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. The past doesn't matter. We can get rid of the past today with one prayer, one simple prayer. God, forgive me. We can start off here today with a clean slate. Oh, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. I've done some bad. I don't care what you've done. There's nobody in this room that had a bloodbath left behind it like the Apostle Paul did. He murdered people. But when he finally saw the light, God forgive me and instantly immediately God forgave him and put him on a new trail today's the day to wipe the slate and if he comes tomorrow it's okay fact of the matter is we got two hours and ten minutes before the game you can make sure you can make your call in election sure here today you can be certain you can walk out here today and say God it feels good to know Jesus come on come on don't you want to be able to pray that come on Jesus right now I'm ready God come on I don't care if it's 2 o'clock 1 o'clock I don't care right now God I'm ready get in that position I'm tired of hearing altar calls these are not altar calls that's what we learn to call them this is a call to repentance I am calling you to repentance. 
I am calling you to be born again of the water and of the spirit. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. And for those of you that have allowed yourself to get a little cool, a little chilly along the way, this is where you get warmed up. This is where you rebuild. This is where you clean the house. This is where you repair the car. You get everything right, right here. You leave all your dirt and your laundry down here on this altar. And when you walk out today, you walk out clean. You smell better. You look better. You talk better. You act better because you have made your call and your election sure. When is the day of salvation? Right now. And if you leave here thinking, I'll do it next week. Remember what I said earlier. Pride is the greatest defender of the fool. Thank you, Aaron. I'm glad you came. You didn't wait for Missy to set the mood. You just came because you want to try and fix things. Anybody else got something you need to fix? Or is everybody here completely 100% sure that everything's okay? Everything, I'm, I'm positive, I'm all right. Well, then you don't need to come. But I'm gonna tell you, I'm not leaving. I'm gonna pray with you. I'm gonna pray with you up here because I wanna be sure. I'm not gonna take that chance. You roll the dice if you want to. I choose to pass on the Vegas theme today. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.